Hello and welcome to another edition of Uprising Uncut. It is uh, Friday, the 29th of January, 2016, and I just had to turn off my kid's baby monitor, (laughs) which you might have heard in the background possibly. Uh, He is eight years old, um, so not a baby anymore, except that his bedroom is downstairs from ours, and so it's nice to to be able to communicate with him. It's one of those two-way monitors, almost like a walkie-talkie. But yes, it's Friday and not Thursday. I Just a, a week after I pledged to try to regularly record the podcast, I once more uh, let down my legions of listeners, all 157 of you. (laughs) Um, And the reason, I have a really good excuse actually. I was called uh, or given the opportunity at the last minute to interview Juan Felipe Herrera, the poet laureate of the United States. He spoke at Cal State LA last night and um, we'd put in a request, my uh, producer and I put in a request to interview him um, some days ago, but uh, there was some misunderstanding. Apparently the booking agent uh, thought he wasn't interested in doing media, so they turned us down and that was, you know, that was that, that you win some you lose some but then yesterday I got a call from the university um, who said oh turns out he is interested in doing media and yeah I got the call at three o'clock and they said can you come at five and I said oh hell no I can't Uh, didn't have time to make arrangements childcare blah 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 you know someone has to make the kids dinner pick them up from school etc stay with them till my husband comes home from work so I ended up going after the event um, at 7.30 and he was supposed to be done in time to do an interview at 8. But uh, it was a huge crowd. Wow, there must have been maybe, I don't know, 500 people, maybe more um, at this event. And um, and he was fantastic. He just kind of had this intense short-lived love affair with the audience I I walked in at a moment when one of the apparently somebody from the audience had asked him to read one of his poems and he he read it and then he just kind of improvised and had this call and response with the audience where he just started throwing out sentences words phrases in English and Spanish and then made up words and and the audience basically repeated them and this went on for like several minutes and it was really it was really cool it was really amazing it was like performance art on a massive collective scale um and then after he was done with that they took some questions which he had lengthy and interesting answers to and then there was a line that must have had I don't know a couple hundred people in it to sign his books and so I just pulled out my computer and uh, started working on other stuff and by the time I um, found and you know got the interview with him it was 10 30 p.m. that's probably I think I've, I don't think I've ever done an interview with anybody at 10 30 at night before um, so that was after a three-hour wait um, and I gotta say it was worth it because he he's pretty phenomenal uh, if you haven't read Juan Felipe Herrera's um, poetry. I highly recommend it. It's, it's really it's really powerful. It's really lyrical. It's playful. Um, and, and he's just, he's bold. And of course, he's bilingual and he's brown and he's, you know, which is a big deal for 
brown people, people who are non-white people, it's important for us to see um, people who have our skin tones <laughs> get recognition, you know. So first Chicano Latino poet the U.S. has ever named as poet laureate of the country in 2015. You know, I, I asked him the question, you know, it's wow, what an achievement for you, but also what a tragedy for the country that it had to, you know, that we as a country have had to wait till 2015 to name a single Chicano Latino poet as poet laureate of the country. That's that's pretty sad. Um, so it was, a, it was a really cool conversation. You can listen to it on Uprising on Monday morning. We're going to air it. It'll be on KPFK and KPFA. Um, and if you missed it, if you're listening to this podcast after it's aired, you can just go to uprisingwithsonali.com and, and search for his name and you should be able to find it. Um, he, he even sang a little bit for me near the end because we were talking about using our voice and singing. And so I said, Why don't you know, sing for me. And so he did. That's what happens when I do an interview at 1030 at night. You know, you get you're so tired that you start feeling a little drunk. And uh, and so you just kind of you lose a little bit of the formality. You just get a little uh, more intimate and can just, you know, ask spur of the moment questions that you might not normally say out loud, but might think in other circumstances, you know, at, at 8 a.m., which is when I usually do all my interviews after I've had two cups of strong coffee. Um, so maybe I should do more late night interviews, but it was pretty cool. Um, and and you can hear it. And the best best part for me was near the end of the end of the interview where he just said some very nice things about me. And it turns out that he ha- he listens to my show. He's a regular listener of Uprising, and and just was um, very flattering. And it blew me away. It humbled me. I went, you know, if, if I was white, my skin would have turned pink with, um, with with embarrassment and and being, you know, totally flattered by by his praise it just it's so amazing when somebody of stature someone who's uh, a genius or you know powerful at what they do and amazing at what they do recognizes your work so so I felt really great my my ego blew up several sizes for for a few minutes and then then I tried to you know tamp it back down (laughs) but but that was pretty cool so that was the highlight of my week and also the reason why I'm recording this podcast on Friday instead of on Thursday. Um, it's an amazing, amazing poet. And you know what's amazing about Juan Felipe Herrera is that he also writes children's books. I knew he wrote children's books, but I didn't know how many he wrote till I you know, started doing my last minute research. Actually, this was the funny part because... Um, the request from the interview or the, um, the the response from the university that I could indeed interview him came, was at, was so last minute. Um, I hadn't had the chance to do like deep and thorough research like I like to do. So I'm like cooking dinner, uh, taking care of the kids, um, making dinner for my husband and doing the research for the interview all simultaneously, which is always fun. Um, but yeah, he's written a, a, a lot of children's books and they're bilingual. And if there hadn't been a ginormous line to buy the books at last night's events event, I would have bought them. But I, I, I will actually try to buy them um, from from a bookstore in the n- near future for my own kids, which is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, it was it would have been much more convenient if 
I had had a babysitter to help me watch my kids uh, yesterday because um, that that's my way of, of segueing into the topic of childcare, which I thought would be a good topic to talk about this week, simply because I've kind of been grappling with it for the last couple of weeks. Um, when I visited my parents uh, in Dubai over the Christmas break, my, my mom would just always shake her head at me and she, she would just say, God, I feel so sorry for you guys. You know, you guys work full time. You Me and my husband, we work full time. And when our kids are home from school, we, you know, it's just us cooking dinner and taking care of them. We're, you know, cleaning our house, doing the laundry. We just, we don't have much help. Um, <clears throat> we don't have any help um, or except for um, landscaping and um, we used to have somebody come and clean our house every couple of weeks which we um, stopped doing because of my salary cuts at KPFK and not having you know money for luxuries like a, a twice a month house cleaning um, but and my mom just felt really sorry for us and I thought you know it's true it's like in most other parts of the world you you don't just you know necessarily if you're if you're rich you have a nanny right or live in nanny or whatever but usually most of the time and this is the sort of normal slash natural part of it you have family around to help you with kids you got grandparents aunties uncles i had that growing up i was didn't you know sort of took it for granted my mom's uh brother and and sister and mother were around there was always one or more of them around when my mom was at work if i was at home um, you know, if I was homesick or, or we used to have different shifts with the, the, our school at one point when, when I was really young and there was relatives just taking care of us. And, um, and I, I, most Americans don't have that. I don't have that now growing, uh, you know, living here and raising my children. I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't say most Americans don't have that. I don't really know. I just know that a lot of people I know don't have that and I don't have that. And that's because, of course, my own family is so far away. But even my husband's family, they're on the East Coast. So we are kind of orphans here in, in, in Southern California where we live. We don't have relatives. And, you know, the few friends of mine that do have parents living close by, I see what a difference it makes in their lives. You know, they, in a pinch, they can drop their kids off at their parents or their parents can come over and take care of their kids. And, you know, they can have sleepovers at their grandparents' house. It's good for the grandparents, but also good for the parents because <laughs> they get a night off from the kid. And so it's just, it's something we don't talk about enough. Childcare is so ridiculously expensive in the U.S. It's absolute, you know, and, and it's not that that the, the childcare workers don't deserve to be paid that much. Of course they do. In fact, they need to be paid even more than most of us can pay them. However, the amount, you know, when if you're a restaurant owner and you pay your workers or any kind of business owner and you pay your workers a fair wage, say $15 an hour, um, you usually have profit coming in. You have a number of employees. But if you're a parent trying to just get childcare, you're not running a business. You're, you know, trying to pay a fair wage, ten to fifteen dollars an hour, for your babysitter or your childcare worker, and that adds up really fast. Um, it means, you know, going out to dinner with your spouse um, costs the amount, you know, that dinner costs plus another forty-five dollars in babysitting, and then. You know, it's not clear whether you're expected to tip your babysitter or not. Some people do, some people don't. But it's really bloody expensive. Um, just daycare for children, you know, under the who are, who are younger than kindergarten age, 
is also you know mind-blowingly expensive and it's a mark of an uncivilized society when we when the government doesn't subsidize child care the government ought to subsidize child care because it's just a basic basic thing um and i'm you know i guess it might be too much to expect the government to just subsidize dinner time babysitting but but just I, I would have had more savings if I hadn't been paying through the nose for childcare for the first couple of first several years of both my children's lives, and then maybe I could afford to do the dinner time babysitters. Anyway, um, I decided to to dip into my savings. My husband and I talked about it, and, and our little one is extremely difficult. He's the most headstrong child I have ever met in my life, but maybe it's just because my older child wasn't like that, so we weren't prepared for it. He is just a really difficult kid he's just very let's just say spirited my euphemism for him but he's you know I'll just okay he's a jerk he's a toddler so he's a jerk toddlers can behave like jerks so he's just really difficult to deal with he stresses me out I come home from work and I want to you know be relaxed and um and I end up tearing my hair out having to you know everything is just a, a battle so uh, all of this is a very long way to say I, I decided to have a babysitter come and help me three times a week, just three days a week for two and a half hours in the evening from 4 to 6.30 p.m., which are the times when, you know, I have to be cooking dinner. Um, I sometimes need to do extra work. And um, and it's just been amazing. Oh, my God, I feel so much less stressed. Um, so I'm at home while the babysitter is taking care of my kid. And it's just eased up my pressure and I think god how do people who have less money than I do handle it how do they do it I mean I'm dipping into my savings to make this happen just because I feel like I'll go insane otherwise and oh my goodness the stress and the trauma that 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 parents go through in this country um who are underemployed unemployed poorly paid um struggling is just it's it's an invisible trauma and stress that we just don't talk about enough so I wanted to talk about it <laughs> on this podcast um and I have you know I've covered the issue of child care costs on my show but um speaking of children big 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 news this week that's kind of freaked everybody out and I have to admit freaked the shit out of me as well was the the Zika virus I think it's pronounced Zika if it's not pronounced Zika then I'm gonna have to re-record Monday's show <laughs> but if not it's this I, I can only be either Zika or Zika but I believe it's Zika Z-I-K-A right this virus this like this horrific violence a vi- virus that is wreaking violence on babies on babies oh my god if you haven't already seen the photos well don't because it's really horrifying but uh, the news broke i believe it was last week that this virus was was kind of exploding in uh in in latin america uh, when the virus which is spread by mosquitoes strikes pregnant women they can cause a horrific birth defect which literally causes babies to be born with um, terrible brain abnormal. Basically, you're born, they're babies born with small brains and small heads. These abnormally small heads on the bodies of babies and the, the photos that, that were in the media last week of these babies just, it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. You know, and, and, and I posted it to my Facebook page and um which by the way you can follow me personally on facebook i i post a lot of things um to the public um uh 
and and it was just terrifying so i covered it on on my show and and um it's gonna air on monday's show actually i taped it today but uh, i had a conversation with the doctor who was basically like look this is just the latest viral bogeyman that's that's that was the title of a blog that he wrote and after he put it into perspective i felt a little bit better about it it is certainly scary right so the disease can only be transmitted by mosquitoes you have to be standing next to a person who has active full-blown zika virus and a mosquito has to bite that person and very soon after bite you and that's how it gets transmitted and it's only a certain type of mosquito that um that does transmit it if you are not pregnant chances are you won't even know you have it because um, apparently most people just don't even get the symptoms. If you do have the symptoms, you'll feel rash, uh, dizziness, maybe a little fever, some respiratory um, symptoms, and then it goes away. If you are pregnant, however, you can have a baby born with a small head that will not live very long. So the symptoms range from mild to none to ab to, from none to mild to devastating and life-threatening to your unborn child. Like that's just such a bizarre type of disease. If you're not pregnant, don't even worry about it. If you're pregnant, run the hell away as fast as you can from anybody who might have visited a mosquito-infested area that is known to have Zika virus and quarantine yourself till your child is born. Okay, it's just, just really really bizarre so yes it's the fears of the virus have been overblown but i believe the impact of it to pregnant women cannot be understated so if you have been if you've traveled to say brazil where a lot of people are traveling for the olympics you get this virus and you don't even know it because the symptoms are so mild and you come back and you're hanging out with your buddy and uh, and or you know your, your pregnant buddy or your buddy with their pregnant friend or whatever your, your pregnant neighbor and you don't even know you have it and maybe you haven't told your pregnant friend slash neighbor that you've just been out of the country. And uh, there's a mosquito hanging around because there's a pool of stagnant water somewhere nearby and this disease gets transmitted. That's a terrifying thing. So it's just, it's a bizarre story. It uh, needs to be put into context, I think. So so we did that. But yeah, that was a big, that's a big story this week. Um, there are two interesting stories about toys, speaking of children, again, and the toys they love to play with. Um, I'm trying to, to have a good flow during this podcast, in case you haven't noticed. Flow is important. Flow is good. So speaking of the things that children play with, um, toys, um, there, there were two interesting toy-related stories this this week. Toys are fascinating to me. Um, you know, obviously, I played with a lot of toys when I was a kid, and I have two kids, but it's also just, you know... Uh, the fascinating thing about toys to me is how toy manufacturers whose entire business model is getting your child to consume as many of these objects as possible um, and keep buying them. You know, the, the, these the companies involved in making the toys are, are a fascinating story. Um, so the two major toy stories haha, uh, <laughs> that, that were in the media this week, uh, one is related to Legos. And this is a good one. This is a good news one. Lego made its first ever disabled minifigure, and it's awesome. If you um, if you if you haven't seen the story, please do go check it out. Uh, disabled minifigure for Lego. It's it's a, just a brilliant piece, and it's such a great way also for able-bodied children to think about disability and to, to see disability as something that's part of life, and to have figures that are that that they can um, enact. You know whatever 
however children play with Legos, um, using their imagination, the stories, that they can fold in a disabled character into stories alongside able-bodied characters. It's just it's a great, I was very happy. And I was like, gosh, why why so long? Why did it wait so long? And, and then it occurred to me, you know, I, I don't think I ever thought about the fact that that there weren't able the disabled Lego minifigures. I thought about you know there not being minifigures, um, uh, enough minifigures that were uh, girl that were that were gender defying, um, or minifigures that had different skin tones. I thought about the race and gender aspect. But I did not, never thought about the. Uh, uh, disability aspect of, of, of toys and what they represent. So that was amazing. The second um, toy related story was Barbie. <laughs> Barbie, which is just, yeah, that Barbie is fraught with so many issues. Incidentally, growing up, I had a blonde blue-eyed Barbie when I was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11. I'd never met a blonde person in my life up until that point. Not a single blonde person. The only blonde people I'd ever seen were on TV. Um, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't think I'd ever actually laid eyes on a blonde person with light skin and blue eyes. I, you know, light skinned people, certainly, but a blonde person with light skin and blue eyes, that was my Barbie. <laughs> and I loved her. And I took really good care of her and I brushed her hair. Anyway, Barbie, um, after years of being criticized for creating dolls that had unrealistic, that created unrealistic expectations and girls for their body images, has come out with four three or four no three different kinds of body shapes for barbies you can now buy barbies in three different shapes um and the three different shapes are petite tall and curvy and then apparently there's like seven different skin tones and eye colors which is i don't know why they're making a big deal of that because i've seen barbies with different skin tones they've, they've that they've had that for many years but i guess they're just trying to milk uh, every bit of publicity they can look how diverse and great we are anyway so fi fixating on the three different body shapes um first of all tall and petite i don't know i don't think that that that's basically making the 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 barbie um the the regular the traditional barbie size a little bit smaller and then the tall one making them a little bit taller I don't see what the big deal is because, frankly, our society glorifies both petite women and tall women. Um, tall mod, you know, models are supposed to be ridiculously tall and skinny, and this Barbie is tall and skinny. And petite women, petite, tiny women, um, are also glorified. They don't represent a threat to men. Um, petite women are also women that are seen as sexually attractive. Uh, conventionally beautiful it's the curvy ones Mattel that that are the challenge the problem with Barbie is not that she was not thin uh, not uh, tall enough or not short enough her average height was fine I mean who cares about that it was the fact that she was fucking thin like rail thin a stupidly thin waistline and abnormally large hips uh, juxtaposed with that waistline and these perky breasts and you know uh, and the and the feet always in a high heel position always on tippy toes so she could slip into her high heels um apparently by the way the new barbies do wear you can find barbies with flats now which is really nice so they got that right but the curvy barbie i took a look at the curvy barbie i'm sorry she's not that curvy she still looks pretty thin to me her hips are a little bit bigger she's just has a wider body frame that's great her legs are still stick thin she does not look realistic. And, and you know, here's the problem. I've noticed this about 
um, commercial um, endeavors, corporations that, that want to glorify quote unquote normal women re- with regular bodies, real women, they still end up using women that are a little too thin. Um, so-called plus size models, most with a few exceptions, most plus size models are still pretty thin, at least compared to me. And I don't think I'm obese, um, but I'm not thin. And, and you know, it sucks. It's like, really? Like, oh, and, and, and then you're supposed to be excited because she's a plus, you know, they, they emphasize the fact this is a plus size model. Look, she's a size 12. She's a plus size model. I mean, seriously, if you're going to, if you want, the whole point, the whole problem is that we create, the, the whole problem is the use of the word model, that we have a subset of people that we've decided are the epitome of beauty and then they are what we have to aspire to um so the ones who may not be a size two or four but who are instead a size 12 still have absolutely perfect hair with no gray in them absolutely perfect skin perfectly straight noses um you know perfectly made up eyes um, you know th- those kinds of f- that kind of flawlessness except that they're a little bit you know chubby or whatever and the chubby thing is a big deal because that's been our you know we're extremely fat shaming society um, but please if you know if we're going to start talking about representing real women on runways and stuff let's just 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 have real women like really just real women you know let, let's have real women f- modeling really cool looking clothes um, without having to feel like they have to be flawless anything you know, sure, get their hair hair and makeup done, um, but don't dye their hair or, you know, put fake shit on them. Um, let them just look real, for God's sake. I would just love to have, like, women who are actually just... Re- and, and the same goes for women on billboards or women in, ho- you know, Hollywood actresses, women in Hollywood movies. Ever notice in, like, BBC movies or, or British shows or any non-American shows, the people just look a little bit more real, normal than 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 most american shows or, or or movies anyway that's that's my rant on 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 barbies <laughs> all right well the last story that i wanted to share in the last minutes few minutes of the podcast which was my hey i didn't get to get around to covering this on on my uprising show this week it falls into that category uh shit i missed this story and so i'm gonna stick it into my podcast and and hope i sort of cover my ass that way is I you know wow I went a whole 25 minutes without mentioning Donald Trump even once and this is the week before the Iowa caucuses damn all right so here goes my Donald Trump moment um really really interesting um I I thought it was an op-ed but I think it's just a transcript of a conversation by Ava Schloss who happens to be Anne Frank's sister published um, this week on January 27th in Newsweek in the opinion section. Um, It's interesting, you know, the title is Anne Frank's stepsister, Donald Trump is acting like Hitler. Really strong headline, right? So it's being shared a lot on Facebook. Ava Schloss, again, is her name. So if you want to look it up, and, and it's all, and it's like, yay, someone's calling him out. And look who's calling him out. A survivor of Auschwitz. <laughs> Anne Frank's stepsister is saying Donald Trump is acting like Hitler. Excellent. Okay, really, really good. So go ahead and read it. Uh, I went ahead and I read the whole thing. And what was really interesting was, first of all, yay, she called him out. 
and and by the way there apparently this week also uh, maybe it was this week or anyway recently um somebody spray painted a swastika on donald trump's uh, hollywood uh, star on the walk of fame star uh because he's you know tv producer he gets a star on on, on that um uh, what is it called i'm from la and i can't even name the street that people have their stars um etched in the co- uh, concrete on the ground you know what i'm talking about someone spray painted a swastika on it so that was good so 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 avish loss called out donald trump but what was really interesting that should have been in the headline that people aren't talking about as much is that her article is actually mostly about the tragedy of the syrian war about how Europe and the U.S. is treating Syrian refugees and about how that is reminiscent of how Jewish refugees were treated both by Europe and by the United States. In fact, she actually says that what's happening now is worse. Let me see if I can find that the part where she said it's worse. It's... um. It's it's really interesting. It's really fascinating. And I'm so glad she wrote this because this is re- absolutely a parallel. Absolutely a parallel that we need to be bringing up. How Syrian refugees, and it's not just Syrians. In fact, that would be my only critique of her write-up. People are just naming Syrian refugees because we can absolve ourselves of responsibility for the Syrian war because we can point to ISIS and Bashar al-Assad. Bashar al-Assad, excuse me. But it's really about a third of the uh, refugees are Afghan and the rest are Iraqi, Eritrean and other countries. But Afghan and Iraqi refugees, those are from countries the U.S. has spent a better part of a decade, actually more than a decade each, waging a war in. And wow, boy, did we uh, did we leave things an absolute mess there. And, and, you know, so bad that people are fleeing hundreds of thousands are are fleeing anyway so she said she just said syrian refugees but it should have been syrian iraqi afghan eritrean refugees and how they're being treated so the majority of her of her piece her opinion piece is actually is actually that which is just pretty amazing and it's really important really really important she says it's not just a european problem it's a global problem um i'm trying to find the part where she said that um Oh, yeah. Uh, she, Of course, she also, this was the other important part. She also pointed out that in 1940, her father, Otto and Frank's father, struggled to obtain visas to the U.S. He tried everything to save his family, family from the Holocaust. He knew someone who worked in Roosevelt's administration and begged him to do anything possible. But in the end, his request was rejected. America didn't want to take any more refugees in the 1940s. Here, here it goes. She says the situation today is worse than it was under Hitler because at that time, all the allies, the U.S., Russia and Britain, worked together to combat the terrible threat of Nazism. And so she's implying that we're not doing that today. And so it's just a remarkable um, opinion piece that is, you know, the one thing that people are singling out about it. And this is the problem with the way in which we consume media today. We just we just read headlines. We skim. We don't really read. So do read it, um, because beyond the headline of comparing Donald Trump to Hitler, which I'm so glad she does, she just does that once near the end and briefly, the, the majority of the piece is about how the world is treating Syrian refugees like Jewish refugees were, refugees were treated um, during World War II. And that's very, very important. We need to 
to pay attention to what she's saying because we are in the middle of a crisis right now and, and it's a crisis of morality as well as a crisis of sheer human humanity and human life that's being lost every single day i feel very strongly about the 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 syrian war the iraq and afghanistan wars um and these you know huge numbers of refugees that we are uh, really not paying much attention to here in the united states because we're so busy vilifying muslims and people from muslim countries anyway uh Ava Schloss good for you for for at 86 years of age for speaking your mind uh what a remarkable lady all right folks the well, I'm out of time um half an hour has flown by I hope I have entertained and educated you and um if you like this podcast do subscribe please tell your friends about it um I'd love to increase the listenership to this podcast I want to do it very regularly um and thank you for spending your 30 minutes with me bye oh and ps uh, this is sonali kohatkar host of uprising uncut and of the actual show called uprising i realize i didn't say my name at the beginning of this podcast so if you downloaded it and had no idea who the hell i was now you do And uh you can find out more about me at my website sonalikohatkar.com. Bye.